This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, so uh, officially welcome to it. Um, coming up in one hour, actually his flight is scheduled to land in about 10 or 15 minutes. Elliot Friedman's going to join me in hour two. Um, Charlie O'Connor's going to be up at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about the Philadelphia Flyers. Yes, we are. Because as we all expected and all predicted, the Philadelphia Flyers are a perfect 3-0 to kick off the season. <laughs> and Carter Hart looks awesome. And Ivan Provorov is playing great, as is uh, Travis Konechny. Charlie O'Connor covers uh, the Flyers for The Athletic. He will stop by in about uh, 25 minutes' time. In the meantime, we'll kick it off uh, with Scott Lachlan, our good friend from SiriusXM. Uh, I'll tell you what, Scotty, um, I want to get to the Aaron Ekblad story here in a couple of seconds. Mm -hmm. He goes on LTIR, and what does that mean for the Florida Panthers? Um, But what are your thoughts now on the Vancouver Canucks and Bruce Boudreaux? I'm guessing you watched the game last night, saw them go up early, Columbus gets one before the third, and did you not say, "Uh uh-oh, here we go again, Vancouver? Yeah, I tell you what, Jeff, I was like a lot of people, I think, when the Canucks went up 2 nothing. I said, surely they can't do this again. And then Columbus comes back to tie it, and you're thinking, surely this can't happen again. Uh, and to their credit, Columbus got themselves a big-time victory. They needed one in the worst way as well. Vancouver, as we know, makes NHL history from the wrong aspect in terms of blowing multiple goal leads in four straight games to start the season. i got to think that if I'm sitting at home on my couch in the man cave, Jeff, figuring they're up 2 nothing, that they could be in trouble. Maybe the players on the bench are kind of feeling the same thing. You know, Bruce Boudreaux, I think, has handled this the right way. He's been very, very measured after the games. Uh, he's not been coming out and saying, you know, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. Uh, he's not trying to whip them into shape. Uh, I think he realizes, and he's been around long enough now, Bruce has been, that these guys need to be coaxed. They need to be uh, pushed a little bit, but in a real positive manner. I don't think this is a situation where, you know, you go out and bagskate the team and bagskate the team some more. I think the reality is these guys need a hug right now. And I think he's trying to take that sort of an approach to it. The amazing thing to this all, Jeff, is the fact that they're going into Minnesota tomorrow night. Uh, If we haven't noticed, Minnesota Wild starting the season, four straight games at home where they, generally speaking, last season were outstanding. Of course, they're looking for their win. Uh, They're looking to salvage their four-game homestand. So, look, something's got to give tomorrow night. My guess would be that somehow, someway, Vancouver finds itself in a 2-0, 3-1 lead, whatever the case may be, and then we sit there looking around going, surely this can't happen again, Jeff. Well, and Dean Evison will say we've got Vancouver just where we want them. We're down to nothing halfway through the third, the second Absolutely. period. This is exactly, exactly what we wanted. Uh, joining me now is Scott Lachlan, uh, co-host of the Morning Skate on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Uh, a couple of things, you know, whenever there's, and I asked this about New Jersey as well, and some might ask this about Anaheim right now, and you know, I, I always look at situations where the coach is hearing it. And we all understood the dynamic in the off season, and you know, did Rutherford really want uh, Bruce Boudreaux behind the bench? Was he the the first choice? We all understand how that story played itself out. But whenever you see a team go through something like this, and you know, good for Vancouver, they get Tyler Myers back, they get Ilya Mikheyev back last night. Um, I always look at a, a situation, and I say this, Scotty, I say, is this a matter of coaching, or is this a matter of composition? Like as as composed, what are the expectations of this team versus is this team underachieving because they're not being coached by the right person? When you look at Vancouver right now, and again, this is four-game snapshot. When you look at Vancouver, what's the issue? Is the issue to you coaching or is the issue composition? Because to me, I'll get my bias out there initially, it's composition. It's not coaching. No, I agree with you, Jeff. I mean, you know, you look at what they did last season under Bruce, and you look at the way that they've struggled out of the gate this time around, you know, the roster hasn't changed all that much. I mean, every team, of course, is going to go out and add and subtract along the way. And as you say, McKayev stepping in last night was a positive sign for them. Getting Myers back on the back end was a positive sign for them as well. But, you know, this has the, the same makings of the team that really played well for a couple of months under Bruce and came five points short from getting into the postseason. I think when you look at it, the biggest question we've had about Vancouver, and this was going into the the season, we just wondered whether or not their blue line was going to be good enough, whether or not they were going to be deep enough. And I think when you get up two goals in a game, 
you know, you f- factor in what the game tells you, and the game tells you you should close it out. And I don't know that they have the guys on the back end right now that they figure can close this thing out. They can shut you down when you need to be shut down. The blue line's not a huge blue line, not a deep blue line. And I think that maybe that's coming back to bite them just a little bit. I think Travis Dermott coming back whenever he comes back will be a step in the right direction as well. But we figured, look, you're set in goal. You've got Demko. Maybe Spencer Martin, like last night, gets the odd start as well. So you don't worry about goaltending. They've got more than enough, we think, up front in terms of scoring depth where they should be bringing it more often than not. Uh, it has been kind of curious how J.T. Miller has started the season this season, Jeff, 180 degrees uh, opposite from where he was all of last season for the Canucks. And I, I think when yeah. you, you boil it all down, I mean, you have questions about their blue line and whether or not there's enough composition there in terms of one through six, one through seven, that once you get a lead, you, you can lock it down. I, I think that so far in the first four games from what we've seen, uh, the answer would be no. They're not just capable of doing that. They, they can't do it, and right now it's coming back to bite them. And there's only so many minutes you can keep, you know, force-feeding Quinn Hughes. I mean, every time mm-hmm. you look at the screen, Hughes is out there, Hughes is out there, Hughes is out there. Um, you know, outside of Drew Doughty, no one skates more uh, than Quinn Hughes in, in the NHL. It's, uh, it's quite remarkable. Uh, to a couple of more things here, and the news this morning for the Florida Panthers, not good, Aaron Ekblad on LTIR. So uh, they trade Mackenzie Weger, now Aaron Ekblad is on LTIR. To me, that was, you know, we all talk about Kale McCarr and Devontae's for good reason. Uh, we're talking about Charlie McAvoy and Hampus Lindholm for good reason. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people, the best shutdown pair in the NHL was Ekblad and Uyghur. Now they're without both. And I don't want to get ahead of myself here, Scotty, but I will anyway for the purposes of Sports Talk Radio. Florida's without their first-round pick. They surrendered that in the Ben Sherratt trade. Do you have a thought on the Florida Panthers without Ekblad and obviously without Uyghur? He's now in Calgary. Yeah, the Panthers were the first-round pick, as you know, Jeff, right up until 2026. And I haven't read too much into that because I figure, I look at this roster, they're all mid to late 20s guys that are in the primes of their respective careers. So, look, they're, they're wanting to win now, and they've made that pretty clear. As for losing Ekblad, this is, this is huge. I mean, for a guy to go on LTIR, and I know they're saying that it's not season-ending, it's going to be shorter term than you think, but he's going to miss some time. And in previous seasons, when guys like Ekblad have gone down, it was Mackenzie Weger, who was the guy that stood up, right? And, and he really took control of the yeah. situation, and he'd be the guy producing points, and he'd be the guy out there playing all the most meaningful minutes in high-leverage-type situations for the Florida Panthers. Now, as you say, no Ekblad, no Weger. Where do you go? Well, it puts more on the plate of Gustav Forsling. It puts more on the plate of Brandon Montour. But again, it's the trickle-down effect, right? Guys start to play up a little bit when they probably shouldn't be playing up. And you wonder how that's going to affect the team. I think tonight's game is going to be fascinating. I know you talk about having Charlie O'Connor coming on afterwards, Jeff. Tonight's game is fascinating from this standpoint, too, because the surprising Flyers in winning all three games, as we know, they've come from behind to win all three of these games. Well, who was the team last season that we looked at as being the team that always fell behind by two or three but somehow found a way to come back? It was the Florida Panthers, the Cardiac Cats, as we called them last season, right? Now, again, this is not something you want to flirt with if you're Florida. Uh, you don't want to go down that road again this season if you can at all avoid it. But the reality is is that it could be vulnerable right now. I don't know whether it's going to be against the Flyers tonight in a back-to-back for Philly or not. But the Panthers, without the guys that we've talked about on the back end that suck up all those major responsibilities and minutes, uh, the next couple of weeks, let's just put it that way, are going to be very, very interesting to see if they can yeah. collectively stay above water. And let's not forget, too, the two-headed monster in goal, whether it be Bobrovsky or Spencer Knight. These guys will have to be better, perhaps, yeah. than ever to keep this team winning. Bobrovsky gets to start tonight for the Florida Panthers. You know, there's that fine line between uh, excuse and reason, and I don't think anyone on the Panthers, you know, if they end up going into a to a swoon here without Aaron Ekblad, uh, are going to point to it and say, you know, uh, you know, that's our excuse for losing. But legitimately, like when you're down, someone like Aaron Ekblad, and you've already moved Uyghur, uh, and Matthew Kachuk is in, you know, playing on one of the most probably annoying little lines in the entire <laughs> NHL alongside Sam Bennett. It's and and you're down Huberto as well. Like you can look at that and say, okay, we knew that the Florida Panthers, mainly because of the salary cap, were going to take a small step back. But this was going to be like a bunny hop dance, right? It's two steps forward and one step back, and then you get to lunge forward next season. But down Ekblad, that is a uh, that is a recipe. 
um, for it. Because funny, you know, we we look at teams like the Detroit Red Wings, or we look at teams like the Ottawa Senators. Some might look at the Buffalo Sabres in the Atlantic and speculate, well, which of these teams could jump up and, and grab a playoff spot in the Atlantic? Uh, and if they can, which team is going to fall out? We all looked at the Boston Bruins. I know they mm-hmm. were in a thrilling one last night against the Ottawa Senators. But we looked at the Bruins and said, oh, you know, no Brad Marchand, no Charlie McAvoy, no Matt Grizzlick to kick it off. This is going to be tough for them. You know, I wonder if, you know, not so much the Boston Bruins because they look fine. And Montgomery's got them playing great. Um, but I wonder if we look at the Florida Panthers and say, you know what? If the Buffalo Sabres or the Ottawa Senators or the Detroit Red Wings are going to do this, maybe that's the team that they have their sights on. Yeah, perhaps. I've got Ottawa making the playoffs for what that's worth, and that's usually not too much, Jeff. But uh, I've got Ottawa making that step. I had them, to your point, making that step in advance of the Boston Bruins. And, again, the Bruins are off to a great start. It was great to see Marchand out in the ice going back to Sunday. The following day, McAvoy was out there, but they're still at least a, a couple of weeks away from returning. So, yeah, we had questions about them. Look, I think Florida's still deep enough. They're still talented enough to win more than they're going to lose. And I think with what they did in moving Andrew Burnett out, and I guess we're going to talk about him down the road perhaps, uh, potentially as the new head coach of the Devils, if the Devils don't start winning consistently, and last night the victory over the Ducks was a step in that right direction for sure. Uh, But Burnett's out, and in comes Paul Maurice, one of the winningest coaches in, in NHL history. Paul's still looking for the elusive championship. The Panthers still looking for the elusive championship. Let's go and try and do it all together. I think that the prevailing sentiment seems to be that Florida is not going to win the President's Trophy. They're not going to come anywhere close to that season for the ages that they had last season down there in South Florida. But ultimately, they might be a better team come playoff time, right? And Matthew Kachuk is that type of player. I know some detractors in Calgary said, well, neither Johnny Hockey nor Matthew Kachuk would be the type of players that have elevated for us at playoff time anyhow. But I think you get the picture. I mean, the thing is, Kachuk can beat you in any any different sort of a way. Uh, he is that guy that's always engaged physically. He drags everybody into the fight. I think deep down they feel like we'll fall back maybe a little bit during the regular season, but by the time we get to the playoffs, again, health perhaps being the most important thing to point out, if they've got the health and they've got all hands on deck, Florida's going to be a dangerous team and, and a tougher team to play against because what we saw a couple of months ago against Tampa Bay, Jeff, when they got swept away in four straight and scored three goals in the process, yeah. obviously. Obviously, Bill Zito sat back and said, look, this is not going to happen again. This is not the right composition. We've got to shake things up a little bit and move some chairs around. You know, it's interesting, too, because when Bill Zito took over the Florida Panthers, I've made this point uh, a few times here, Scotty, when, when he took over the Florida Panthers, you know, just to be quite blunt, and I think you, me, and Gord talked about it on, on your show a couple of different times, this was a Florida Panthers team that was... You know, no offense, Florida Panthers, pretty easy to play against, mm-hmm. right? Like, that was the reputation. Like, you're not going to need ice after. You know, you, no one's going to get bruised. Chances are you're going to grab two points and move on to face off against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that is going to be your big test going through Florida. He goes and grabs Hornquist. He grabs Gudis. Now mm-hmm. it's Kachuk. Like, this is like this is very deliberate by Zito to try to toughen up this team. Not like going out and you know grabbing a a, a a bunch of a bunch of cavemen to fight, but like really tough, hard nosed, tough to play against hockey players. Like make no mistake about it, this is very deliberate uh, by the Florida Panthers. Want to ask you about the Calgary Flames? So the most exciting game last night was probably Ottawa and Boston. Scotty, safe to say, mm-hmm. but I think the most intriguing game going into the evening was Calgary and Vegas. And Vegas looked real good early. And then it seemed as if, you know, when Calgary had that goal called back with Kadri in the crease, uh, goaltender interference, it's almost as if, like, that galvanized the flame, Scotty, right there. And they just took off. And then just started pouring it on the Vegas Golden Knights. And now... You have a Calgary Flames team that's 3-0. and They've knocked off the defending Stanley Cup champions. They've knocked off the Edmonton Oilers. Now they've knocked off the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, Dallas looks real good. The Rangers look real good. Carolina looks real good. I think the Calgary Flames are the best team in the league right now, today. Agree or disagree, Scott? Yeah, I think you can make that case, Jeff. I would agree with that. I, I've got them winning the Pacific Division. Uh, I think we knew that you know, potentially going into this season, on paper at least, they were a better team than last season when they had a real good regular campaign, of course, and you know, just got ousted by their arch rivals when it was all said and done. But we think that they're better and deeper on the blue line. Uh, we think that they're going to be more or less the same up front. I mean, you replace 
a bit of a shift to Stober and a guy like Kachuk, and you bring in Kadri, who's got a little bit of that element to his game as well. Uh, and you just expect Elias Lindholm, who scored again last night, to kind of pick up where he left off and to yeah. fully to chip in like he did last night as well. The big question, Jeff, I think going into the season was was Jacob Markstrom, right? And a little bit alarming in the fact that he gave up that Carrier goal last night to start that way because, <laughs> again, we saw that, you know, in the Edmonton series. Now, with all due respect to William Carrier, I mean, against the Oilers, if you drop the ball against Drysaddle and McDavid, it's a little bit different uh, than letting it a softie to William Carrier. But the fact of the matter was that he yeah. responded from that they had a tough first period last night where they found themselves down on the scoreboard and they just seemed to tip the, the scales a little bit in the second period there i think Kadri, to your point helps out with the feistiness and kind of replaces kachuk with a little bit about of that sandpaper i think up front uh, i also think he helps out on the power play immensely uh, so i do look at calgary as the team to beat there uh, as you know i've had some concerns about vegas i know so far they're proving me wrong uh, Logan Thompson has been very, very good. Uh, there's no question about that. Aiden Hill and the start that he got was very good also. Uh, over the long haul, do I have questions about their goaltending still holding up? Yeah. Do I have questions physically as to whether or not a guy like Mark Stone can do it with that wonky back that he's got? Probably. Uh, but there's still a talented team that wanted to win yesterday, as we know. And as you all well know, Jeff, they, they better win because Brendan Brisson is in the cupboards. And beyond that, there's not much more because they've traded away picks and prospects over the yeah. years because they want to win that Stanley Cup yeah. championship. They still feel like that window is open. But to me, they've got too many question marks. And that's why I'm going to stand by it, Jeff. Regardless of how it started for Vancouver, regardless of how it started for yeah. VGK, I'm still thinking the Canucks are going to get in. <laughs> and, and fingers crossed, Bruce Boudreaux is still going to be the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks because, you know, to what we talked about just moments ago, I think it's more, like yeah. you said, roster composition than it is coaching at this point. Bruce is coaching essentially the same team yeah. he had last season. Yeah, and that's the thing that we know about Boudreaux. He gets you there. Like, that's always been. He mm-hmm. almost got him there at the end of last season. One one final thought, and we'll uh, we'll let you get on with your afternoon. Here's the thing about Calgary, too. They're a perfect 3-0. They've knocked off heavyweight teams. I don't get the sense. Clearly, we haven't seen the best Jacob Markstrom yet. That's evident. I don't think we've seen the best Jonathan Huberto yet in Calgary. Like, he looks good. Yeah. But we'll end on this one, Scotty. Does he look like that Jonathan Huberto that you know is in there yet? Like, he's good. Like, he's looking good. But you still know, like, there's still a lot more for Huberto in Calgary. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Jeff. He had a couple of assists last night, but yeah, he's he's capable of much more than that. I had to laugh because, of course, our buddy Peter Lobardius was out there doing color on the TV broadcast and Roger yes. Sportsnet last night, too, and <laughs> just to hear Peter at one point, there was a cross-ice feed, I think it was on the power play uh, from Jonathan Huberto, and you could hear Peter in the background going, oh, what a pass, you know, kind of thing, right? And, and there's more of that to come, <laughs> and we talk about him as arguably being the best playmaking forward that there is these days in hockey, which is saying something, especially with the guy that he kind of came in to replace and Jonathan Huberto to begin, or make that, excuse me, Johnny Gaudreau uh, to begin with. Uh, and you're thinking mm-hmm. Calgary is going to be just fine. And, and it's got to have been yeah. a pretty big transition for him uh, to, you know, be traded. He was shocked initially when it happened. Then we heard about a dinner in Montreal between Brad Trilliving and, and Jonathan Huberto and how things were, were, were pushed forward to the point where just a short time later the contract extension gets done. And now he's talking all things Calgary Flames and beyond. He's talking about buying a truck to fit in out there in Calgary because you need one of those, of course, when the weather gets tough this time of the year and such, too. So I think things are, are coming together yeah. for him. And this is just the tip of the iceberg as to what he's going to produce. Now, I don't know if he's going to get 115 points again this season, Jeff. Probably not. Uh, but this guy will be right up there uh, amongst the, the team leaders in points, probably in the end, still their top point getter when it's all said and done, just because of his great ability to see the ice. So uh, I think I think in watching him, in answering your question, yeah, I still think there's another level for him to get to, but it's been a time of adjustment for him. I think he's going to get there pretty soon. You know, that's so interesting about uh, about buying the truck because last year I talked to someone who used to work in Florida and we were talking about Jonathan Huberto and this person said to me, you know, I don't know that there's anybody else on this team who loves the Florida lifestyle like yes. Huberto does. He goes, <laughs> you know, everything is a convertible. He just loves it. The wind in the hair, the sun, the top down, all of it. And he's gone from that to a rugged Calgary winter. And it seems like he's embracing it. So yeah. good for uh, good for Jonathan Huberto, right? Well, I 
had people, Jeff, that were, would tell me after the trade was made, because I said, well, I, I'm, I'm expecting that Jonathan Huberto is going to extend with the Calgary Flames, and Mackenzie Weger might do it too. And people were saying, oh, no, that'll never happen. Jonathan Huberto loves the sunshine of Florida, and he's a, a sports car guy and the whole bit. And I'm thinking, well, there are times you can yeah. still drive your sports car. You, you, you don't have to spend you know, 12 months a year in Calgary. You can find a way to take a vacation. You can find a way to have your off-season home still where you want it to be nice and warm and humid and the whole bit. There are ways around that. What yeah. I pointed to, Jeff, was the fact that he was going to be going to a hockey-mad market where people really cared about it. And, and that's not to demean Florida by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, let's face it, he's walking down aisle six at the grocery store. He's probably not getting recognized down there. You go to Calgary and you go downtown Calgary and you do your grocery shopping, you're down aisle six, you're probably selling selfies and selling autographs uh, along the way. Uh, taking selfies along the way is what I meant to say. So, look, I think that, you know, this could have gone a couple of different ways. Uh, either you wallow in your misery uh, and you find a way to not commit to a market. I think he's done somewhat expectedly so the exact opposite. I think he's going to love playing in Calgary when it's all said and done. You know, a lot of players, as we know, Jeff, when it comes to big Canadian markets, say, man, I'd love to play in a market where it really means something, where fans are so passionate about the sport. And then some get to that particular market, they're like, oh, man, when's the first plane out of here? Like, I can't take this pressure. The fan base, the media, things are not going well, et cetera, et cetera. I think ultimately he's that guy that's going to buy into that market, whether it's buying a truck or contributing on the ice. I think it's going to work out well for he and the Flames. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, Kept a long time. Scotty, you're the best, man. Um, Awesome. Thanks so much, as always, for stopping by. Uh, love listening to you and Gordon in the morning. You know that. Uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, pal. Thanks. It's been great. Anytime. Thanks, Jeff. There he is. Uh, Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, co-host of the Morning Skate, alongside Gord Stelic. And uh, as we just finished talking about, you know, Aaron Eckblad on LTIR for the Florida Panthers. Now, I know everyone's going to start beating the Pat Kane drums here, but let's just let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Colorado Avalanche captain Gabriel Landeskog will likely sit out the next 12 weeks after having knee surgery, head coach Jared Bednar said on Wednesday. 12 weeks, freeing up cap space, freeing uh, freeing up talk about Patrick Kane and the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, I don't think Kane's making any decision until much later on, maybe right up until a trade deadline, but it's not going to stop people from talking about him in Colorado. And this will only produce, I think, another log on the fire. Uh, speaking of fires and speaking of hot, Philadelphia Flyers are that, a perfect 3-0 to kick off the campaign. Uh, we'll talk to Charlie O'Connor uh, from The Athletic, who covers the Philadelphia Flyers. Another big matchup for uh, the Flyers tonight. I'll tell you, like it has been real impressive so far. And you always cheer for Carter Hart and players like that and Travis Konechny and you know, some of these players that are always in trade rumors. Uh, Flyers and Panthers tonight, 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. The Landeskogless Avalanche face off against the Winnipeg Jets and the St. Louis Blues take on the Seattle Kraken. Only St. Louis's second game of the season, by the way. They should be rested. Uh, Charlie O'Connor joins me in a moment. We'll talk about the Philadelphia Flyers. Keep it here. Back in a flash. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So three games tonight around the NHL. The Avalanche face off against the Jets. Watch that one, 8 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet West. Late game, the Blues face off against the Kraken, 10 o'clock Eastern on that one. St. Louis's second game of the season. And then by Sunday, they will have played their third. Three games after a couple of weeks. Now, they have four games after that in the next week, so they'll be caught up. But still, also the Florida Panthers face off against the Philadelphia Flyers. Or should we say the perfect Philadelphia Flyers? They are 3-0, and as we all expected, as I'm sure Charlie O'Connor did from The Athletic, who covers the Philadelphia Flyers. Charlie, how are you today? Hey, doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine. First of all... Um, Listen, I don't think that the Flyers are running the table here. Nobody does. It's a nice start. Um, based on the expectations that you had going into this season, what do you make of the Flyers after three games? Well, you got to give them credit. You know, there's there, there were 
understandably very low expectations going into the season for this team. And a lot of that was, you know, the off season they had the last two seasons they've played and, uh, They've come out and they've played hard. You know, I think that's probably the best way to uh, to, to praise the, what they've done so far is that they played hard. Last season, you know, John Tortorella said from the start that he wants this team to be a hard team to play against. They were the opposite of that last year. And it wasn't just that they lacked talent. You know, obviously you lose Sean Gattari for most of the year. Um, you didn't have Ryan Ellis for all but four games. Kevin Hayes for most of the year either wasn't playing or was playing at a shell of himself due to uh, you know complications from his surgery the previous offseason. So they lacked talent, but they could have been more competitive than they actually were. And instead, this is a team that, that fell apart very quickly. They would make dumb mistakes. They, they could barely complete line changes correctly. This was a team that fundamentally looked broken. And I think what you've seen over the first three games is that the fundamentals are back. You know, they're not making the glaring mistakes. They're, they're, they're keeping, you know, above the puck. You're not seeing them give up too many odd man rushes. You're not seeing these, these dramatic breakdowns They're They just look like a, a more well-drilled cohesive team. And to me, you know, that's probably been the biggest surprise, not because I didn't think John Tortorella would have them playing that way. Eventually. I just didn't necessarily think that he was going to fix that this quickly, given how much of a disaster it looked at times last year. So a couple of things and I want to get in, uh, I want to get talking more about Ivan Provorov here in a couple of seconds. And I want to talk about Travis Konechny as well, because they've started the campaign really well. When you look at the Flyers at three and oh, you know, Charlie, is it just too simple to say, well, Carter Hart's giving them nine forty goaltending and, and that's what it is. Cause Hart's been, well, you know, you you see all of them. Um, Carter Hart's been fantastic so far this season. Is it an oversimplification to say, well, the goalie's giving them 943 save percentage goaltending. They're going to win. We always think about, you know, what Elaine Vigneault used to always say, hockey is easy. Uh, if your goaltender is better than my goaltender, you win. But if my goaltender is better than your goaltender, I win. How much do we look at this, Charlie, 3-0 Flyers, and say, Carter Hart's been great. That's the story. You know, the hard truth is that it's a lot of it. Um, it's not all of it, but but you're absolutely <laughs> right. You know, if if, yeah. if Carter Hart wasn't stopping 94% of the shots, the Flyers would not be 3-0. The Flyers certainly would not have won last night's game. And really, they, they may not have won any of the games. Um, you know, he kept them in that game in the second period in, uh, in against Vancouver and Philadelphia before the offense got going. So, yeah, the goaltending is a, a huge part of this. And it's not like the Flyers you know, from an underlying standpoint, have been playing great. You know, they're, they've, they've only collected about 40% of the shot attempts of 5-on-5, five five, only about 40% of the expected goals. This is not a team that, you know, really yet at least should be changing perceptions of their true talent level. This is still a limited club. Mm-hmm. This is still a team that, that lacks high-end talent, particularly up front. That hasn't changed. What has changed, as I, as I implied, is that they're just not making the big glaring mistakes that Carter Hart yeah. can't erase anymore. You know, and, and, and that's something that, and I'm obviously a big advanced stat guy in terms of the, the importance of it and the usefulness of it in terms of, of measuring uh, team quality. But that is something that the stats can miss at times is just, you know, the difference between, you know, a B plus chance and an A plus chance. And the Flyers aren't giving up as many A-plus chances, at least right now, the kind of chances that a goalie would need a miracle to stop. It's not that Hart isn't playing really well. He is. He's playing extremely well. You have to be playing extremely well to stop 94% of the shots, even over a three-game sample size. But you're not seeing the kind of deluge of high-quality chances that the Flyers were giving up last year. And that's a big part of why Hart's been able to produce a 940s a percentage again not taking anything away from what carter hart has done not saying that carter hart's play isn't the biggest story because it is but there is something to the fact that the flyers have become at least so far a more fundamentally sound team even if there are legitimate issues under the surface in terms of being able to control play Two names that have popped for me, and maybe there's more for you. And listen, uh, we've seen, you know, Noah Cates had a really good game last night. Van Riemsdyk found uh, the back of the net. But in the three games so far, I've been impressed with Travis Konechny. 
I've been impressed with Ivan Provorov. And specifically Provorov, Charlie, as you well know, I mean, how many times has he been traded now? Like at least a dozen, right? <laughs> Maybe 15 times we've traded Ivan Provorov to various teams. Oh, he's going, you know, Kelly McCrimmon had him with the Brandon Wheat Kings in the Western Hockey League. You know, Kelly's going to grab Ivan Provorov and bring him to the Vegas blue line. And like he's been traded so many different times in so many different places. It, I got to figure it can't help but affect you in some regards. But so far, like three games in, Provorov looks really good, Charlie. He looks really good. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, their hope going into the season was that getting him a partner that, that can actually move the puck at an above average level on the right side would help to stabilize this game. They went out, they got Tony D'Angelo. D'Angelo obviously has, um, you know, flaws in his game as well. He's not the greatest defensively, but one thing he absolutely can do is move the puck. Last year, Ivan Burrovov mostly played with yeah. Justin Braun, who, you know, Justin Braun's a useful defenseman. He's a good defensive defenseman. He's not a puck mover. The year before, he had Justin Braun as a partner. He had Phil Myers as a partner who has puck-moving ability but has seemingly lost it over the last few years. Uh, you know, this year, I think the Flyers' hope is that you get – him, you get Ivan Provorov, a real partner that can complement him, and Ivan Provorov will stabilize, and he'll go back to being that legitimate first-pair quality defenseman that he was before the last two seasons hit, the guy he was when he was paired with Matt Niskanen. And so far, I think the returns have been fine. I, I didn't love his game last night. I thought he had a good third period. I thought his first two periods were um, not particularly strong with the puck. Carter Hart bailed him out big time uh, when he fumbled the puck away to Corey Perry on a rush in the second period. But first two games, I thought Proveroff was was quite strong. And, you know, that pairing with D'Angelo is probably going to take some time for them to, to really develop the kind of chemistry they're hoping. Heck, over the long term, it might not work. But in the short term, it does seem like it's at least able to hold its own. You know, D'Angelo is holding his own in, in increased minutes, in tough minutes. So he has a lot to prove, too, because he has to prove he wasn't just a product of Jacob Slavin in Carolina on the first pair. Um, so he's got a lot to prove. But but I agree. I think Provorov's had a solid start. And interestingly enough, he's doing it without having you know guaranteed minutes on the power play. They, they started out the year with, with rookie Igor Zamula yeah. on the second unit. Um, Provorov has made it back onto the power play over the last couple games, but you know this is something that over the, the past couple years the Flyers I think were a little scared to take him off the power play. They were afraid of how he might react, and the fact that he's having a good start to the year despite the fact that he wasn't really promised a spot on the power play, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that in terms of his uh, his attitude entering this season. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Matt Niskanen there a second ago because I think that's the worst thing that, that happened to Provorov was Niskanen calling it a career after the bubble. Like, we haven't seen that same Ivan Provorov since, since Matt Niskanen was, was riding shotgun uh, with him. Uh, two summers ago, there were a lot of teams that called about Travis Konechny, as, you know, Chuck Fletcher is, has discussed. Uh, there were a lot of teams that tried to pry him from the Philadelphia Flyers. Again, only three games. But uh, Travis Konechny, one of those players that we thought, okay, if this team is going to go through any type of rebuild at all, Travis Konechny might be one of the players uh, that gets moved here. Konechny's looked really good, Charlie. Yeah, I've really liked what I've seen from Travis Konechny. Um, I think that he, you know, on some level last season, and obviously last season was a disappointment for the Flyers across the board. It was a disappointment for Konechny, even if he did lead the team in points. But, you know, some of last season's issues for Konechny were just kind of him being snake-bitten. You know, this is a guy who historically has scored a decent yeah. amount of goals, and he only scored on 7.3% of his shots last year. Like, that was going to come up as long as he made – you know, yeah. mild adjustments to his game and got a little bit better luck. So he was going to score more goals, but I, I've liked from Konechny so far, I've liked the commitment to two-way play. I've liked his back-checking. I really liked his his willingness to uh, to kind of push to get a little bit closer before shooting. He's not taking as many perimeter shots. He's, he's trying to get a little bit closer to the slot, trying to use players as screens. You've just seen a little bit more deception in his shooting so far. And one thing that I found really interesting, you know, he's obviously not known as a, a defensive stalwart by any means. He's, he's an offense first yeah. winger. Brad Shaw, the new, uh, the new assistant coach of Philadelphia, is using him on the penalty kill. And, and so far, Konechny has looked pretty good on the penalty kill. He actually, uh, on, on Saturday against the Canucks, he set up a, a beautiful shorthanded goal um, for, uh, for Scott Lawton where 
uh, I actually talked to Konechny after the game. He, he had the puck, and he thought about trying to pass it through two guys through the middle of the ice, and it kind of hit him at the last second that there's no way I'm going to get that pass through. And instead, he banked it off the, the sideboards, and Lawton was able to get to it right before he, he, he went off sides. And it's just one of those plays where you know, Brad Shaw likes to coach an attacking penalty kill. It, it's, you know, it was dubbed the power kill by, uh, by Allison Lucon uh, yep. back in Columbus. And, you know, the, uh, adding someone like Konechny, who's an offense guy, if you're going to have an attacking penalty kill, Konechny's fast, he's aggressive, maybe he's the kind of guy that you want to build a new penalty kill identity around. And I think that's something that someone like Konechny can, can really uh, embrace. It, it's been fun. It's been fun so far to watch it's- him. It, it's it's the evolution of the penalty kill, right? Like once upon a time, it was just, you know, get your fourth line guys that'll dive in front of shots. You know, it's not going to get the puck out of the zone, but pucks aren't going to get to the net. That's now replaced with get guys that can think. Get guys that can think and can move the puck quickly and efficiently and, dare I say, even create. Um, the the penalty kill, is the, the way different coaches handle it now, uh, is a lot more exciting and pretty fascinating as well. So, Charlie, let me, um, let me let you into my life from last week. So last week, I got absolutely roasted by Philadelphia Flyers fans for suggesting on the podcast with uh, the one that Elliot and I do that f- the Flyers fans wouldn't have a stomach for a rebuild. Now, the Flyers are 3-0. and No one's thinking rebuild right now in the front of their mind. But in the back of their mind, they might be. If the wheels fall off the wagon here for the Flyers and things really start to go south, and they're playing in a back-to-back tonight facing off against the, the, the Florida Panthers, if things really go south for the Philadelphia Flyers, would Flyers fans, because I'm told by them on my timeline that they would, <laughs> would they have a stomach for a traditional rebuild? So the short answer is yes, I do think they would. I do wonder how long that stomach would hold. You know, if if the rebuild is, you know, a one to two year rebuild, absolutely. If it's a five to six year rebuild, I'm skeptical. Um, but I think more than anything, what Flyers fans want right now and what the Flyers, at least over the last couple of seasons, have been lacking, they just want a clear direction. You know, they, they want the Flyers to, you know, if you're going to try to go for it, then go for it. If you're going to try to rebuild, then rebuild and tell us you're rebuilding and, and blow it up and start from scratch. I think what's frustrated Flyers fans, particularly over the last couple of years, is this kind of half-in, half-out strategy that they've seemingly had where, no, we're not going to rebuild, but Johnny Gujero wants to come to Philadelphia and we're going to pass on you because we're not ready to sign a guy like that. And their thought is, well, if we're not going to rebuild and then the biggest free agent on the market wants to come here, why are you not moving heaven and earth to get him here? And if you're not doing that, then we might as well just rebuild. So I think that's where the frustration really lies in Philadelphia is just this idea of just pick one. You know, we'd be okay with either one, but just pick one (laughs) rather than us kind of spinning our wheels. And then you end up in this middle ground where you're maybe too good to actually get the kind of players that you need to eventually become really good. And you're not bad enough where you'll get them anywhere. So if I'm reading this correctly, then Flyers fans would be fine if it was a Rangers rebuild, but not a Coyotes rebuild, that, yes. that is that think, safe to say? Like, if it's a Rangers, like, okay, we're going to take a step step back for a couple of years. We get some lottery luck and we load up with some players, but we're still going to keep a lot of our guys. We're just going to complement with some younger guys and some free agents, and we're rock and roll ready to go. That's fine. But what Arizona is going through, or what Chicago is going through right now, that's that's not something Flyers fans would be interested in. Chicago is interesting because, I mean, look, let's be honest. What Chicago is doing is not that dissimilar to what the 76ers did in basketball. And there were more than enough Philadelphia fans that are willing to embrace the process. So the Arizona one's weird because I just, I don't know what their plan is aside from, you know, just absolutely tearing it down to the studs. I think Chicago's made it abundantly clear. Their plan is we are trying to be real bad this year. And then we're going to get one of these, three great players in the draft and we'll go from there. I think Flyers fans, at least in the short term, would be okay with that. But I think my concern with regards to the concept of a rebuild is that, you know, if it turns into a five, six year thing, that's what 
I'm not sure fans would have the stomach for. But, you know, if, if you look at it, and obviously this is a, uh, you know, a different situation, but if you kind of look at it the way it ended up going in Toronto, and granted, Toronto had some rough years before that, but, I mean, they turned it around pretty quick in terms of, you know, you get Austin Matthews, obviously they already had Nylander, you get Marner, and then suddenly within a couple years yeah. – you're in the first round, you're losing the first round, and obviously they've lost a bunch more in the first round since, but that first first round loss, that was exciting for them because it was, well, mm-hmm. we've turned the corner. I think when Flyers fans think of a rebuild that they would be willing to accept, I think in their heads they kind of are envisioning that Toronto rebuild where they got two or three elite players real quick, and then there were two, maybe one or two real bad years, but right away it kind of turned around and they were young and exciting again. I think that's the type of rebuild that Flyers fans would like. Okay, so right now the Flyers are 3-0, and but everybody's talking about the Phillies. I got 20 seconds left with you. Give me uh, Charlie O'Connor's hot 20 seconds on the Philadelphia Phillies right now. The Philadelphia Phillies have all the good vibes going for them right now. I'll, I'll tell you, it's been it's been fun in Philadelphia, them and the Eagles, for that matter. You know, and heck, the the Flyers are undefeated. So uh, at this point, I am not questioning the Philadelphia sports vibes. I'm sure eventually they'll die off, but at the moment, it just doesn't seem like yeah. things are going wrong in Philadelphia to the point where the Flyers can go into Tampa and take down the, the Tampa Bay Lightning in regulation. Yeah, it's uh, the the best sports place to be in North America right now at this moment. Wednesday, October 19th at 2.53 Eastern is Philadelphia <laughs> right now. Take a snapshot. Uh, Charlie, thanks as always for stopping by. Uh, continued great work, man. You're, you're one of my favorites. Thanks so much for doing this. All right. Thanks so much, Jeff. There he is, Charlie O'Connor. He writes for The Athletic covering the Philadelphia Flyers. He'll face off tonight against the Florida Panthers, one of three games on the go-around the NHL. It is also the Avalanche facing off against the Jets. That one is on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet West. Avalanche, by the way, if you missed the news, without Landeskog for 12 weeks, knee surgery. Ouch! St. Louis Blues face off against the Seattle Kraken. Over, under, Shane Wright. Six minutes? Or is he even in? Hour 2 is on the horizon. Elliot Friedman is back from New York. He joins me in moments. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And uh, ripped right out of the pages of, I don't know, 1986. A good 7-5 game. A good 7-goal second period. Ottawa Senators over the Boston Bruins 7-5 is the final score. Ian Mendez, our good friend from The Athletic, joining me now to, to talk about last night's game and the future of the Ottawa Senators. Ian, how are you today, pal? Hey, Jeff, you say 1986? I say 2006 because... In fact, the, the crowd was chanting Daniel Alfredson's name. They scored seven goals. It felt like yes. the old pizza line, pizza line days in Ottawa last night. <laughs> I love it. I, I still maintain like that was, you know, it's an unfortunate tag, but I think you can throw the San Jose Sharks in that era as well. Like one of, if not the best team of that era, maybe the Buffalo Sabres, you know, Drury and Briere and Campbell and Miller could lay claim, but one of the best teams to never win the Stanley Cup. Like I, look, I you know loved what? that Ottawa Senators team. Oh, yeah. You know, I think San Jose is the perfect comparable, too, right? Because uh, you, you were like a legit contender for almost a decade. You got to one Stanley Cup, yeah. but you just quite couldn't get over the hump. And you had that same kind of, for Ottawa, it was, you know, Alfredson and yeah. Spezza and, and uh, Redden, and they had the same core. And, you know, and now they're hoping that this is the reboot, right? Like this is the, the start of, a, you know, hopefully a new uh, window of contention is going to open here at, at some point soon. Let me before we get on the Ottawa Senators page. Let me ask you about Daniel Alfredson here. Like there are just some players. Well, first of all, a lot of Swedish hockey players generally at the end of the career they go back to Sweden and they stay. Like so seldom, you know, do they do they do they come back and stay here? Alfredson's one of those guys that's that's come back from as as much as you can understand or glean. 
you know, what's going to happen with Daniel Alfredson? Like, I, I always believe that the NHL is better when the stars stay and are still involved, whether it's with their team, whether it's with the league, whether it's ambassadorial or whether it's more hands-on. You know, what's the future for Daniel Alfredson in Ottawa? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, isn't it? Because he is an icon in, in this marketplace. And, you know, I yeah. spent a little bit of time with him last night uh, in, in the suite. And you could just see he was so appreciative of the, resp- the response he got of, you know, the, the, the crowd cheering his name. But, you know, in, in the conversations I've had with him in the last couple of months, he's not ready to come back, Jeff, in like a full-time capacity, meaning, yeah, yeah I'm going to be an assistant GM or anything like that. But I do think that that's still on the radar for him. Like if I'm trying to read between the lines, like I wouldn't be shocked if at some point in the next 18 months, he does get back into it. Like he told me uh, maybe, I think maybe six weeks ago or whatever it was, uh, you know, his kids are getting older. They're all kind of growing up and and graduating and kind of slowly moving out of the house. He's ready. I think for that next phase of his life. And uh, he loves this city. He, like you said, there's so many guys that move back home. This is home for him and his wife and his family. So I, I, I do think that that, that fire still burns for him. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious because I've asked him too. I asked him uh, not too long ago, like, do you want to get in on the coaching side? Because I know he's coached his kids. Or do you want to get in on the, the front office side? And I think it's like 60-40 with the arrow pointing towards the front office. But it wouldn't shock me if maybe he wants to do something yeah. on the ice. Uh, honestly, like I look at someone like Daniel Alfredson, who one is, and I'm sure you've had this come to the same the same conclusion. You know, one of the most intelligent people in the game. Like the minute he's in in any official capacity, he becomes one of the smartest guys in the room. And two, if you just look from a skill set point of view, like when like honestly, Ian, like when he played, his skill was amongst the elite in the game period like he's one of those players that you look at one of these people that you look at and you say one i hate you because you have everything together <laughs> in your life and part of me is envious and, and jealous but you look at him and you say it's he's probably a guy that can do whatever he wants don't you think yeah he is and you know what he's he's rare uh, and you know you hate to paint uh you know everyone with the same brush but he's he's one of the very like almost worldly hockey players a very intelligent very i guess book smart would be the the phrase I would use, and and uh, th- there's not there's not a lot of hockey players who have interests outside of the game, and and Daniel's one of those people that you know politically I think he's kind of interested in in, in certain things in the world, and you know he business wise he's interested. Th- so yeah, he he is absolutely he's one of those guys that I think can can uh, kind of kind of write his own ticket. And you're right, there's probably a degree of jealousy there with with some people because it, you're right, it seems like he can he can almost do whatever he wants in this town, and, and people just love him. Okay, so here's the headline coming out of our uh, our conversation here today. Ian Mendez maintains Alfredson will run for mayor of Ottawa. Very good. Okay, so we've got there that one go. out of the way, Ian. Uh, <laughs> that'll be the headline coming out of this one. Uh, someone else who's very comfortable and back home is Claude Giroux. Looked good again last night. Uh, you know, scores early. It's a 7-5 game. It's It's wild. Uh, you know, we were, Elliot and I were in, in Ottawa. We spent a day there interviewing as many people as, you know, uh, Chris Moore would make available to us. And, um, you know, Claude Giroux went out of his way to say, like, yeah, you know, I understand why you guys all thought that I was coming home, but there were other offers. I had other places I needed to, to entertain as well. But this really does, you know, kind of, Ian, you know, seem like a hand-to-glove fit for Claude Giroux in Ottawa. It's perfect. You know what? And, and for any Ottawa fans that are listening right now, let me, let me give a free plug to 32 Thoughts. And, and that episode you guys did in Ottawa uh, was fantastic. And, and I think it really captured the, the excitement around here. And, and Claude, to me, is the perfect fit. You're right. And, and it, this, look, make no mistake about it. This is Brady Kachuk's team. This, he's the heartbeat. He's the pulse. But you kind of yeah. felt like they needed a little bit of a little veteran insulation, right? And not just like a you know, a 36-year-old guy who can barely hang on. You're looking at a guy in Claude Giroux. Like, like, look, he's not the 102-point guy he was from 2018, but I think we can all say that he's probably yeah. still a 60, 65-point guy. And you saw it last night. You know, and we, I just spoke to him about half an hour ago here. And, uh, you know, he was beaming. Uh, his, his family was in attendance last night at the game. Uh, this is a chance for him to be at home and sleep in his own bed. Uh, it's great. And imagine this. Like, imagine his – I think he scored like seven seconds into his first shift. Uh, you know, as a center or whatever it was. And you couldn't have scripted it any better. He takes a pass from Alex to bring it, and he puts it in the back of the net. 
And he's off to a great start. He's, he's been a calming influence, and I suspect that's exactly what he's going to be. If this team has some tumultuous times, it's going to be Claude Giroux who kind of comes out mm-hmm. and tries to kind of calm the waters. Okay, what did you think? Okay, so, so, so two moments here. What did you think after Batherson made it 3 nothing? And then what did you think? Because you always, you know, teams will always, you know, when they're down a couple of pucks, look for that one goal right before the period is over to you know, gather momentum, use it for the next frame. And then what did you think when Patrice Bergeron made it 3-1? to one? Like, it's a wild first. The Batherson goal and then the Bergeron goal. What would you think? You know what? It's, it's, it's and maybe it's an, as a, a guy who's covered Ottawa, I'm like, I feel like I've seen this game before. And it's, and it, and it's not a, like, it's the weirdest thing. Like a three, nothing lead should be safe, locked in the vault, call it. It's done. And yet there's always something in the back of your mind that it's when not. it's three, nothing, you're kind of like, ah, I kind of think they need to get the next goal. Right. And so when, when Bergeron scores to make it three, one, you're like, okay, you know what? If you had told everybody it was going to be three, one after 20 minutes, you'd be, you'd be taking that. And I got to tell you that second period, Jeff, that, that is when it did feel like 1986. Like it was unhinged, I, whatever it was seven goals. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, it, and it was great. Like, yeah. And I think, it, you know, as fans in media, we love it. I, DJ Smith even said, look, <laughs> I'll try and, you know, try to block out the bad stuff, but they'll take the win. But you know, coaches don't love seven, five hockey games, but it was, it was, it was hard to get Jeff a sense of that game. Like, you know, auto, and I, I joked at one point, it was like they, these teams were trading field goals, right? It was 3 nothing Ottawa, 3-3, 6-3, and then all of a sudden it was 6-5. Like, it was wild. And, and, you know, for Ottawa to be able to put that one away, it was huge. And, and it was psychologically, if they had lost that game in any mm-hmm. manner, let alone blowing a 3 nothing lead, we're having a diff- you're having me on as a guest today under completely different circumstances. And the questions you're asking are like, hey, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen in Ottawa? And is the, the temperature boiling over? So they, they really needed that one last night. Yeah. Is, is DJ in the, the conversation now with Boudreaux in Vancouver and Ruff in New Jersey? Was it? No, you're, you're right, though. And like that, that the second period was wild. Uh, I love the Shane Pinto shot. What a great shot. And I'll tell you what, I, you know, I said at the beginning of the season, after spending a couple of days with him in, in Germany in the summer with Elliot, uh, Tim Stutzla looks good. And three points yesterday for Stutzla. Uh, I know, you know, general managers hate when you do redrafts, but man, that pick looks real good uh, on Pierre Dorian and and the Ottawa Senators. You know, when you're looking for players to have that breakout season, you know, it seems like, and you know, Stutzla was telling us this. We had this, you know, five-hour train ride back from from Mannheim to Paris, and we were we were talking to him, and he was talking about how, you know, last year he just, you know, went to the gym and lifted, and he looked bulkier. I mean, you saw me, and you're you're there every day, yeah. and this year he's got, you know, the nutrition coach and a very specific way to work out, and on ice, off ice, and manage rest and the whole deal. Like he looks great this season and he's the one guy that whenever people ask me who's the guy that's going to pop this year sort of quote-unquote out of nowhere I always say Tim Stutzla because he just looked and he looked great last night he just looks fantastic Ian you know he had 31 points Jeff in the last 30 games last year and it felt like he really came into his own and you thought okay like maybe he gets it and he he just seems to work at center but now he's surrounded by even better talent. I mean, right now he's playing with Kachuk and Batherson. He might see a little bit with Dabrinkit and, and Giroux. You're right. Like if you had to pick one, like as much as Ottawa has kind of injected, as much as Pierre Dorian has injected talent into this team, I still think there's only one guy with kind of 100-point potential um, right now. And maybe Batherson could be that guy, but I, I do think it's Tim Stutzla. And then he has the ability to be yeah. electric. And, and I think what, what's really important, and you mentioned this, the the core strength like if there was one knock on him it's that he would fall down a little bit and not not and i'm not saying that i know montreal fans are probably listening and said yes exactly this is what we've been saying i'm not, no like i don't think he's a, di- <laughs> diver. a diver gallagher was no, right exactly. the whole time he, he yeah, listened now, to brendan now, gallagher <laughs> yeah now you've got a new headline mendez Suitsley is a diver no um <laughs> but 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 i think you know i think he was a teenager. He was a kid coming into this league at 19, yeah. or whatever. And now you can see he's a he's a young man, and I and I think it's going to help him driving to the net. I think it's going to help him down low. And you saw it last night. He's got such a set of hands. Like that that goal was electric. And so there's there's a real sense that you know 80 points. And I know some people outside of this market thought, my goodness, why are you signing this guy to an eight times 8.3 contract? I think at the end of the year you'll look at this, and I think you'll probably understand. 
uh, you know, maybe where Ottawa was coming from. Yeah. He's, he's just that good. Uh, I, I love it, uh, Ian, between Alfredson as the next mayor of Ottawa and Tim Stutzel as the Ivy <laughs> Man. i gotta, I got to have you on more more often. Just pop some numbers here for me. This, you're, the, you're the headline machine, Mendez. There you go. Clickbait's my new nickname. I love it. Uh, thanks, pal. You be well. Yeah, you as well. There he is, Ian Mendez from the uh, from the Athletic. Uh, a wild one last night. Uh, if you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. That second period with seven goals, just bam, 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 back and forth. It was fantastic, uh, and good to see the Ottawa Senators uh, get on the winning side of the ledger. Uh, a few minutes left here in the program. I want to bring aboard Matt Marchese, our producer. Uh, Maddie, how are you today? I haven't heard from you in a couple of days. Uh, to be honest, it's been nice. Oh well, fine. I'm 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 well, Jeff. I guess uh, if you're gonna have that kind of attitude, um, we I did want to bring something up, and we have some audio to play sure. for it. Um, one thing that we haven't okay. really discussed all that much: the Tampa Bay Lightning starting off real slow, one and three, and the loss last night to the Flyers. Yep. And this is head coach John Cooper after the game. Yeah. This. The stinger, like we should never leave this game with zero points. We probably should have left with two. Um, so that's just, it happens in this game. It happens when you play 82 games. Unfortunately for us, it's, it's happening a lot early in the season. Uh, but this group should close that game out. Um, and we didn't. So... That's probably a little bit of a concern. Hmm. Is that Maddie sort of shades of Sheldon Keefe in some ways? Now, Steven Stamkos, like to his point, like, and again, I don't think Philadelphia is going to play like this all season. They can't. You're playing with fire. Um, but Tampa goes up 2 nothing in this game in the first period. A pair of goals by Steven Stamkos. A couple of more assists for Nikita Kucherov, uh, who now has five. Stamkos with six goals so far on the campaign. That is one that normally, you know, John Cooper's right. Tampa closes that one out. And I think we're all waiting for the season where we say all the hockey that Tampa has played is catching up to them. I'm not going to say that now because, again, like we've pointed out, don't bet against Tampa. But they have looked anything but spectacular so far this season. They they have looked exactly like you've described them. And and the only thing that I will say about Tampa Bay is there's a couple of factors here. One, um, they had a slow start last year, so I'm not gonna be the guy that goes, Oh, Tampa Bay's finished because I Don't think you're a fool that. to no. bet against. Exactly. So but but what I will say is that and, and we had this conversation, or you had this conversation with Mike Rupp last week, and Tampa Bay is not as, you know, quote-unquote tough to play against. Like, losing Ryan McDonough is a big loss. Losing Andre Palat is a big loss. And and I think that that, that kind of stuff yep. kind of flies under the radar in terms of, you know, the day-to-day grind of the NHL season. And when you get to go play an opponent that doesn't have guys like that in the lineup. We see it when the Leafs play basically every night because every other player, aside from Zach Aston Reese up front, is all the same, soft and skilled, and it's not hard to play against. And Tampa Bay is is not like that, but they're missing those guys that give them that edge, and I think that that is so understated with Tampa Bay early. Now, having said all that, they're going to turn around, they're going to make the playoffs, and we know what their goal is, just get in. Yeah, that's uh, that's what Stamkos always says. Just get in. Now, interestingly for them, you know, Tampa's that team that, you know, they don't care where they draft. They'll always find players. have another sixth-round pick going into the game last night in Nick Perbix. Played with uh, Mikhail Sergachev, played like 13 minutes. Boom. And he's only played, you know, a handful of games with Syracuse. And bam, he's playing in the, in the top four, Nick Perbix is. And before that, we saw Cole Kepke come in who's another, I think Kepke's a sixth-round pick as well. Like, I don't know that there's a better team in the NHL at finding value late in the draft and turning players into NHLers. Like, NHLers on a really good team. Like, you know, no offense, but it's one thing to have a late pick and, hey, I'm playing with the Arizona Coyotes. Look, I'm in the NHL. It's a little bit different when you're a sixth-round pick and you make it to the NHL on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's just a tip and a nod and 
more respect for the, the scouting and player development that we see with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Hey, Nick Perbix, you're a six-round draft pick. No problem. We got you. We took you for a reason. We know you're a good hockey player. Done some, you know, done some developing in Syracuse. You'll fit right in. By the way, you're playing with, with Mikhail Sergachev. No pressure, kid. Awesome. Uh, thanks to Ian Mendez for stopping by the program today from The Athletic. Thanks to Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic as well. Uh, Elliot Friedman, fresh off the Board of Governors meetings. And Scott Lachlan from NHL Network Radio, co-host of the Morning Skate. That is their morning show. Thanks to Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, and you just heard from Matt. Don't call me Drew Doughty, Marchese. Merrick Show back tomorrow, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Have a great rest of your day.